0: Hi and welcome to Embark. I'm Liz Solar. My work as a voice actor My work as a voice actor dovetails with my background as a writer because it's all storytelling and truly we all just want to hear and share stories, maybe tell a few of our own. So at the end of twenty nineteen, I promised myself I would read a book a week in twenty twenty. It went well until late March when, well, you know. I just couldn't seem to pay attention to something that I actually love to do. Maybe you've experienced some of the same. In any case, I'm back to my promise of reading one book a week, and at the end of the episode, I'll be sharing what I'm reading this week. In the meantime, we go back to February of this past year, and Randy Susan Myers— This time of year, we're always looking for the great beach read, and Randy Susan Myers has a slew of them. She brings humanity, heart, humor, and more than a little edge to everything she writes. We talk about her latest book, Fashion Orphans, the line between our writing lives and the ones we travel through every day, and how it's always necessary in fiction to bring on the bad. Having left some of her wild days behind her, Meyer shares a quote from Gustave Flaubert which guides her creative life and this is the quote be regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work Randy Susan Myers takes it from here I
1: live by those words which is one of the reasons when especially students say to me you know I just went through this horrible thing whatever it was you know I just murdered 10 of my family members I want to write a book about it and I will say wait, let it wash through you first. You will write about it much better when you've had a little time behind you. Um, And by the way, don't murder your family members. Not a good idea. Yeah. Think about it in prison.
0: And then, you know, if you're ever rehabilitated, then then tell us about it. Now, your new book, is this your first collaboration with another author? Um, Actually, no.
1: I collaborated with a number of authors About four or five years ago, for a something that's called Serial Box, it has a new name now, and it was it's a series of books written by sort of like in a writer's room. And I had the great good luck, and it's about the Supreme Court clerks. Mm -hmm. And I had the great good luck to be in Washington for like four days in a hotel, and we even got a behind the scenes guide to the Supreme Court, and that was really fun. It was a lot of people. And it's a very different kind of experience. The Fashion Orphans was very different than writing a book by myself. It was much lighter. And we set out to write a lighter book. We both wanted a break from our usual. And we both wanted to write something that was really aimed towards women of a certain age. Because they get short shrift as protagonists. Or when they are protagonists, they tend to be so depressed. Oh, my God. I'm 65 years old and my life is over. So we wanted to bring up some fun parts
0: of women's age. Yeah, let's fix that. I'm not dead yet. So, mm-hmm. right? So when you're when you're collaborating with another writer, how do you keep your vision pure or just keep your own vision and still respect, make room for someone else's?
1: We had to agree beforehand that if there was anything that the other person totally didn't want, we had to give into that. So we each have like uh the ability to, veto anything Mm -hmm. but it really didn't come up because we took this book we planned it like crazy it was outlined it was all to the max of we knew what we were going to do next and we didn't take turns writing characters I would write a first draft and she would edit that draft and that's how we kept going and going so I would write all the first drafts and she would then edit them and then send them back to me and on and on you have to look at it as a different experience, not as trying to make it into a vision of your own experience.
0: Yeah. Your book, Fashion Orphans, launched on February 1st, and you mentioned that this book is coming into the world differently. What did you mean by that?
1: I'm trying to think of how much I want to share. We had the opportunity to publish. We, we It was bid on by a major publisher. Uh, neither of us were... Pleased with the terms of the um, contract, and they wanted to change some stuff. And my co author also co owns a publishing company that mainly does romance, but occasionally does standalone novels that aren't romance. And we decided to do it through that just so that we could see through with our vision all the way. We did not want to compromise on the vision of our characters, the women. We have women. The main characters range from 48 to being in their 80s. And we really wanted to keep that. That was so important to us. After doing five novels, it was kind of fun to try something different.
0: Working with people who share a vision, people that we like, get along with, who appreciate what we're bringing to the table. I'm not sure whether it's pandemic, age, a combination of all of the above, but I'm hearing that more and more.
1: I found one of my greatest pleasures during the pandemic was teaching. I have a small group that I teach that came to me and asked me to lead their basically master novel group. And I was going to do it just for a short time, you know, get them sort of to a next level. But it was one of the most satisfying things I've done during the past two years. And I'm very lucky to be able to say that.
0: You know, that song from a chorus line, What I Did for Love, it's all of that, that you just can't yes. regret it. And it's just the opposite. So glad that all the things that we do bring us to whatever point we are in life, where we're doing something that we love.
1: And, you know, at this point, the experiential is as important as the
0: paycheck. Right. All of our art is autobiographical, right? I think Fellini said something like, even if I set out to make a film about I think it was actually Filet of Soul, but I always say spaghetti. It would be, you know, because it's, you know, Federico Fellini. Um, He should be making a movie about spaghetti. But he said that it would be about me. And in all of your books, there's a little bit of DNA about, oh, this is a part of Randy's life. Not that you actually did all of those things, or, you know, you are not your characters, but there's a little bit of truth, a little bit of you in every book that you've written.
1: That's true. That is so true. And I have to say, I'm a little suspicious of people that say, oh, there's nothing of me in that book. Well, then why did you write it? I believe that the emotional resonance of oneself, if they're not in your characters, then a little bit of shame on you. You're not probably not going Deep enough. Um, and I mean that not in terms of you not doing a good job, it could, it could be beautifully crafted. People always ask me, is that you in the book? And first of all, yes, every character has a part of me. But I always go back to Carolyn, Carolyn Parkhorst Rosser, who wrote a book called The Nobody's Album, and in it, a wonderful book. And in it, people are always asking, is this you? Because her main character is a famous novelist. And what she says is when you make cookies, you use butter and you stir that butter in and you mix it up. And when you take the cookies out of the oven and you bite in, you don't bite into a slab of butter, but boy, does that butter flavor the cookies. That's what authors past lives are, the butter and the cookies. And that's how I look upon my experiences. And I certainly draw my experiences. And the nice thing is nobody will ever know what I really did and what I
0: didn't. Right? It's a nice little parlor game to set up. <laughs> oh, what, what part of that is true? Don't you wish you knew? The One of the through lines to several of your books is this, and I know that you were involved in social service and working with the victims of domestic violence, but there are a lot of Poor excuses for husbands or partners running through a few of your books. Is that influenced by your past? Um, Do you just need a really great antagonist for your protagonist?
1: Well, first of all, it's fun to hear you say that because a couple of my husband characters, people have said are too good to be true. So I guess I go both ways, uh, back and forth. It is much more interesting to write about bad people or complicated people than good people. You need to have complicated people who show both sides. Nobody's all good or all bad. Well, some people are, but I don't write about them. But flat villains are no fun and flat good guys are no fun. And that's what I like to bring out, the bad parts of all of my characters, including the protagonists. They make bad choices. They do stupid things. We all do. That's a, that's what's called the journey of life. I mean, anybody who says they've never done anything even akin to the people in their books,
0: well... They have a good dissociation policy. Totally agree. And, you know, I I was thinking specifically of the widow of Wall Street and accidents of marriage where they weren't. It isn't that they were. Well, maybe one of them was kind of a bad guy. (laughs) But but sort of the um, conflict that runs under a marriage or under life that you're right. They're maybe not bad people. There are bad choices for sure. And
1: they do bad things. I worked with criminals for 10 years. One of the many things I learned is A, they're all the stars of their own show, just like we are. They all have a story they tell themselves for the evil deeds they do. And one of the things I did as before I'd walk into group, you know, two or three nights a week when I would run these groups um, of 12 to 14 guys was love the sinner, hate the sin. I I tried to pull up, you know, the Mother Teresa side of me. And I think I stole
0: that from um, Dead Man Walking. Uh, Who's the woman? This is going to be one of those Mad Libs conversations where it like eventually we'll get like a few of the letters of her name. Prajan, Sister Jean Prajean. Yeah. Oof. So I call it Amazing. That, that is
1: a miracle. So I, so I would call up Sister Pre- Jean Prajean and walk into, the only way I could walk with those guys, work with those guys is to try to find their humanity while I wouldn't condone their sins. And that's the same thing I try to do with my characters.
0: Whatever mode of communication we use, we want to connect with whoever that is and and understand. Is is that not one of the reasons why you write?
1: I think originally I started writing because I love books so much and I love reading is basically my life. I don't think at any night in my life have I ever been able to fall asleep without reading first, even during the worst of times when I might have been very drunk or feeling sick or whatever. I just, I mean, reading kept me going through my life. So I just wanted, so that to me was the highest form of purity, was writing. Mm. And then I found that writing helped me discover myself and helped me heal myself as why I hopefully presented great books, fun books for people to read, as much as some of them could be fun. Like when I wrote Wasted, which was one of my most controversial controversial books with readers, Mm -hmm. uh, writing about weight, I found myself really exploring stuff that I had never let myself look at. And it helped me a lot, a lot, lot, lot. So are you at liberty to share any of that? Sure. Um, I wrestled with weight issues my entire life, not just in terms of being heavy, though there were many times in my life that I was heavy, much heavier than I am now. Also, it was an emotional issue for me in a huge way in the way that when one, it sounds small, but in the way that it can press on you every moment. You know, I had a very critical mother about weight. She was very thin. My sister was very thin. Everybody was thin. And I was not. Um, and I would wake up every morning with monkeys chatting in my head about being fat. Once I wrote this book and really explored to the deepest extent the stuff women have in their head, and I also put on top of it a reality show and and all sorts of stuff, I was able to say, oh, okay. And to be honest, I found a way to manage my craziness with my weight in a a way that's satisfying to me. It's still crazy, but it works for me.
0: I don't think it's crazy at all. And I have had the same issue. I'm one of six kids. My mother fed us like we were truck drivers, <laughs> like there's no portion control in my life. So I was always that overweight kid and it dogged me. I don't have that issue as much, but there is a tape going on and my mother did not have a weight problem, but it was constantly for my sister and myself, oh, let's have a therapy session right now. But <laughs> but it's it's a podcast. It's a therapy session. It does form a lot of your own self-image and it goes beyond the weight. It goes beyond the physical.
1: And that's why I wonder when people say they're not writing through anything I know what are the obsessions I'm writing through over and over again and if I don't go deep enough into it the book is going to be not as satisfying I know to me and I have to go there and I liked it when I was used to run groups for criminals batterers it would be a part Of the group, um, during the best groups, there'd be a moment when all the other guys would go, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. And it wasn't because of something I said. It was usually because of something a group member said. And I used to call it the church lady moment, when people would recognize truth and do that nod, "Mm mm-hmm. I like to bring that to my books.
0: Well, you do so successfully because they're highly readable, engaging. And I feel like there's a sense of, oh, there's, there is truth behind it, but it's they're so relatable.
1: And that's what I like to give. That's, that to me is the, being able to write the inside thoughts. And the only way you can do that, and this is what I say to my students all the time, is you have to take that, take the reader off your shoulder. People are going to think everything is you anyway, so just give it up. Just let it all go. And then let people worry, let people think, hmm, I wonder. But they're going to think it anyway. I read books by, fr- by dear, dear friends and know these things didn't happen to them and still think,
0: hmm, so let it go. To the point of write about what you know, that's what we're always told. What is your thinking about, especially when there's such controversy over who gets to write a story? Where do you stand or do you have an opinion about, you know, writing things outside of your wheelhouse. Like they didn't happen to you. You know, I'm not a gay man, or I'm, you know, I'm not Asian or I'm not in a certain group. And how dare I, I write about that? What's your feeling about that? I grew up in a very diverse
1: area, neighborhood in Brooklyn. I went to a diverse camp. My jobs have all been in diverse places. It's just to me that's a normal part of life. I like I like a diverse life, and I want my books to reflect the diversity that's my wheelhouse. In terms of making, speaking for somebody, in Wasted, one of my characters is mixed race, one of my point of view characters. And I worried that I was going to get some crap about it, but I also wanted to, very much wanted to show that weight is not an issue singular to white Jewish women.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So in fact, I have women of almost every background, cultural background in in the book. I did have people read it. I couldn't over-worry about it because um, I just tried to be super, super aware. I wrote the book that I felt was truthful. I was lucky in that I never got a bit of crap about that. The only thing I got crap about was for having the nerve to write honestly about weight. Oh yeah, I got a lot of crap for that from women. It was the most... I got. I would get reviews for that book, you know, like Amazon reviews and Goodreads. That were be either best book ever written or worst book ever written, <laughs> and <laughs> nothing in between uh, because people hated because it didn't reflect their vision of body positivity. Now, I think body positivity is very good. Unfortunately, many of us do not feel positive about our bodies, and we need to explore why. And one of the characters in my book, not a point of view character, is a very evil man who leads the women through horrible workouts. And I got and somebody wrote about me on Twitter about, how dare I have somebody like that in the book? That person was horrible. Is that how the author feels? It's like, whoa. Yeah, and if I write about a murder, it means I really want to murder somebody. <laughs> so I guess that's a long way to answer your question is, I do believe we should all question ourselves as to what we think. Mm -hmm. I don't think I am presenting the one true vision of anybody, including white Jewish women. I believe that I want to have diverse cast. I will continue to have a diverse cast. If I'm going to have a point of view character that reflects a different background than myself, I do need to question it and make sure I do it as well as possible and have a number of people read it.
0: Do your research, right? As much as you can without making it sound like, you know, I'm always worried, are we turning into like Wikipedia? We can't write about this unless we're really explicit about explaining what this character is about. And, you know, on the other hand, we can be bonked over the head by people who say all the characters are white Jewish women. Doesn't she have a, a larger worldview? So it's. I feel like sometimes, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't.
1: Well, I got a great response from somebody, a friend of mine who is African-American, although she does come from Brooklyn, like me, who said, damn, how did you get inside our heads like that? And the, way I, the only way I think I do, there's two things I, I can do well. One is I can imagine myself into people's heads in a scary way, including um, people who have stolen billions of dollars. I have a good way of telling myself, of knowing this, feeling the story that people tell themselves. The other thing that I do that I recommend people do is if you're going to write a character, any character, whether you don't know their job or their background well or anything is read memoir. So I read 30 to 40 memoirs for every novel I write in order to bring up as many emotional truths as I possibly can. I I just wash them all through me. And I did that around weight. I did that especially around African-American women's issues about weight. I did it about being mixed race. When I was writing um, <laughs> The Widow of Wall Street, which is about money, man, did I read a lot of memoirs about from thieves and children of thieves and wives of thieves. So you have to walk into another life carefully, but Deeply.
0: Randy, that is so impressive because I'm sure beyond the 30 to 40 memoirs that you read for these books that you write, these works of fiction, you're doing other types of research as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. What is the best type of research for people who want to write fiction? Where's a good place to start? Because people feel like they have that book inside of them and they don't really know where to start. And then they think about how can I write it so I'm marketing it to this audience?
1: I never write thinking about who I'm going to market it to. I have never have. And I've been asked by my age and other people to do more of that, but I just can't. So I really can't say how to do that. I think if you write truthfully is the best way. It's not like I write read books just about me. I read so all across the board. Um, there's not a type of book that I haven't read or genre. What I always start with is what if. And like with the murderous daughters, I started with, what if two sisters watched their father murder their mother? How would they grow to be adults? So that's it. I just start with a what if,
0: always. One acting conceit is, you know, you're living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. yes. Right.
1: Yes. Well, that—that's it, Liz. I don't. In fact, it's funny. The one thing that really got me to be able to do public events was reading a book sidebar called "Naked at the Podium." Yep. You probably have read it. It's written, you know, written by actors for how to authors should present. Um, But that's what I always, always think about: is how are you, how deep can you get inside your characters? And
0: I go so deep. You do it. It's as they say, all on the page. So, what is the next book about?
1: Often with my books, I keep going back and back and back until I hit the sweet spot of really knowing the motive, really know what I'm writing into here. Um, But it basically goes back starting in around 1964 and coming forward almost to the present about the world of political activism and communes and trying to capture that world in a way that I feel hasn't been captured quite right. It's often written as though it's like either groovy or all just like, hideous um, Charles Manson's type of stuff. And I'm trying to get to that innocence that often led to not such great stuff.
0: And you have some authority with that. You lived in Berkeley at a certain point in your young younger days, right?
1: Yeah, I, I lived, you know, when, when my kids were young, we lived with another family. And I lived in a, you know, communal situation in Berkeley. And I was very politically active. Um, and so I'm trying to take some of that, but... The what if that really got to me about this book was uh, when I was with some friends who were about 10 years older than me, and they were laughing, remembering when they lived in a commune and when they started a children's commune for their kids taking turns going up and taking care of them, sort of like a hippie kib- kibbutz. And I thought, oh, there's my next idea.
0: Oh, yeah. Because I really want to be surrounded by like 12 kids under the age of 13 Um, for the day.
1: Well, this is what I'm working on. And needless (laughs) to say, trouble ensues.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? I kind of buried the lead here because we didn't even talk about the plot for Fashion Orphans. So just like a quick logline or well it's about give the people a reason to read your book
1: estranged sisters half sisters one represents brooklyn and the gap the other represents the upper east side and bergdoffs both of whom are in dire need of money and a, a new sort of a new life lift one's a widow one's been left by her husband and their mother dies it starts after their mother dies and they think they're going to get a ton of money and what they get is a really bizarre collection worth a lot of money, but that they have to run by a lawyer in order before they decide what to do with it. And it starts off a path towards getting back together and changing their lives. And they have a difficult relationship with their mother, but they relearn who she is after her death.
0: Isn't that profound and true? Yes. For many of us, the mother-daughter, I never had as much compassion for my mother as when she, my kids started to get older, mm-hmm. you know, number one. But as I saw the things that she might have wished for in her life that didn't come to fruition. Yep. Like, it's like, oh, wow, she's not just mom. She's a real woman.
1: And that's what this book is really about. And her group of friends and how they get to know her group of friends, a, a group of older women um, in their, you know, 70s and 80s and how it changes their life. Wow. Well, that that is
0: next on the, you know, that to be read tower. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I'm so glad that you did this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Liz. I'm so glad too, and let's hope like when this is all over, we can see each other in person again. Big appreciation for Randy Susan Myers, who you can learn more about at Randy That's R-A-N-D-Y-S-U-S-A-N-M-E-Y-E-R-S dot com. A couple of other books by Randy that you might enjoy, Accidents of Marriage and The Widow of Wall Street. Here's what I'm reading this week. Happy-Go-Lucky by David Sedaris. It's, his, it's a book of his latest essays. I've always been a fan of Sedaris, humorist, essayist, and satirist. The dysfunction of his family has always provided fodder for hilarity. And over the years, with each book, it's like the peeling of an onion. What seemed like lovable quirks have revealed a darker layer. Happy-Go-Lucky takes on some contemporary issues like gun control and Black Lives Matter, and they're okay. His essays about family, especially his lifelong struggle with an abusive father, are much more compelling. In typical style, he finds humor in even the most emotionally fraught moments. After paramedics take his 95-year-old father away from his assisted living apartment, when a grandfather clock falls on him, leaving him bloodied, An ambulance takes the elder Sedaris to the hospital, and David stays behind. He writes, A few moments later, another aide walked into the room. Excuse me, she said, but are you the famous son? I'm a pretty sorry excuse for famous, I told her, but yes, I'm his son. So you're Dave? Dave Chappelle? Can I have your autograph? Actually, can I have two? Um, sure, I said. You got to love that trademark, self-deprecation. So this week, put it on your TBR list, or as we say, to be read. In my case, Tower. Happy-go-lucky by David Sedaris. If you like what you hear on Embark, share this episode, tell a friend or two, and please subscribe. Share your thoughts with me at liz at embarkthepodcast.com. Enjoy this beautiful week. And in the meantime, thanks for listening.